Allow me to read the scripture reading for our gospel lesson this morning. It comes from Genesis chapter 37. I'll be reading just excerpts, but Pastor Brian Park will be leading us in the entirety of the passage. I'll be reading from verses 2 to 14 and then 23 to 34. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, his brothers had gone to graze his father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. And this is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here um, at Metro Church. And uh, if, you're, if it's your first time here, first and foremost, just want to say how glad um, we are to have you joining us in worship this morning. 
And just to keep you and everyone up to speed, uh, we've been going through our sermon series entitled Pastoral Prayers, where the next couple of weeks we are just going to go through um, passages that have personally been convicting for us, um, just in light of our own walk with God and also how we've been, by God's grace, able to walk with many people um, at the church today. And the topic I want to kind of hone in on this morning is on the topic of pride. Everyone is prideful. We can identify pride as early as the days of creation, when Adam was in the garden and he wanted to be like God. For some of us, we can say and identify pride right now if you're simply saying in your heart, eh, well, Brian, I'm really not that prideful. And I know some of us in this room, or if you're watching on the live stream, you may be asking yourself, well, what's really the big deal? But as Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 sternly warns us that pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. See, pride is dangerous because it has the power to give you essentially a a false and an inflated view of yourself. And on top of that, it also has the power to make you view others as less than yourself. And the reason why it's so important for me and the reason why it's been on my heart is because I see how pride has been ravishing my life for years and year after year and how I've seen it so much in some of the people I have been walking with. And it's in my few years of pastoral ministry and in my life where I really do see how dangerous it is, how dangerous it is when we just fall into pride's deceptive and subversive presence that often makes us go wayward in life and relationship simply because we just have a puffed up view of ourselves. (laughs) Pride is as ridiculous as saying I know I'm a terrible free throw shooter, but I don't want to get better, even if it's going to take me to the Eastern Conference Finals. Hurts, I'm still recovering from that. But in all seriousness, pride is dangerous as saying, I don't need anyone in my life. I don't need to listen to anyone's counsel. I'm going to do what I want to do accordingly to my own terms because I know exactly what I'm doing. And friends, trust me when I say that that never fares well. When this prideful posture is your approach to life, it will never go well. And that is what we see in Scripture today. In the life of Joseph, what we're going to see is how pride really can be so destructive, but yet at the same time, in light of a God of hope, we see how the gospel can redeem us from our own pride. So I have three points for us this morning as we dive into our text. First, the poison of pride. Secondly, the goodness of God. And thirdly, the healing in humility. Let's dive into our first point, the poison So many of us have heard about Joseph. 
We know that Joseph, historically, he would be the prime minister of Egypt. He would save thousands of lives, including his own family. But when we look at the life of Joseph, I would argue that it's far more nuanced than simply just his pedigree. In fact, what I want to showcase is that through the life of Joseph, it's really essentially a case study of how sinful man can be, even the heroes in our Bible that we're reading right now. For some context, look at verse 3 and 4 with me. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate rope for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated them and could not speak a kind word to him. What we see right here is some context. And what we see is that the older brothers hated Joseph. They despised him. Why? It's because Jacob, the father, chose Joseph as the future head of the clan. That was an honor uh, normally bestowed upon the firstborn son, but what we see is given to the last son. So in light of that, the older brothers, they hated Joseph for receiving all of this undeserved favor. They hated the fact that he was always doted on. For all of uh, you older siblings uh, watching, listening right now, he was that younger brother or sister that you just simply hated because they never got the butt whipping that you received when you were younger. That was Joseph. But before we say, poor Joseph, before we say, oh, my God, they're so mean to him, he isn't faultless in this passage. In verse 2, Scripture tells us that Joseph brought their father a bad report about them. Now, one commentator notes about this bad report. The word report it denotes news slanted to damage the victim. Other commentators will note that a bad report means a false misrepresentation, essentially meaning he was a gossiper, he was a liar, and he was a slanderer. In other words, what we're seeing is Joseph elevating himself and downplaying other people. We're seeing the poison of his pride. If you don't believe me, we can dive into the text a little bit more because starting in verses 5 through 9, we see a little bit more of Joseph's arrogance. And here we see Joseph uh, kind of telling and sharing his dreams to his brothers. And read verse 7 and 8 with me. I'm just sharing this because it's, it's mind-blowing in a sense, right? He says, Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my chef arose and stood upright. And then verse 8, his brothers... I'm going to go back to verse 7, excuse me. Behold, your sheaves gathered around it, and it bowed down to mine. His brothers said, are you indeed to reign over us? What do we see in those two uh, uh, dreams? Well, the first one, essentially he's talking about how he is above them in status, and the younger brothers are simply just bowing down to him. And the next dream that he shares, he goes a step further and he talks about the sun and the moon and the stars and how creation would be bowing down to Joseph. Joseph is boastful. Joseph is arrogant. Joseph is prideful. It's all about Joseph. 
In fact, in verse 10, it's so bad that even Jacob, the one that doted on his son, the one that idolized Jacob, even he rebukes him. I mean, that's bad when even the father that loves and rebukes and don't says, you know, Joseph, you're, you, you're, kind, of, you're kind of wilding out, son. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's what he's essentially saying. And the point is this. Pride, pride is poison to the soul. It makes you arrogant. It makes you boastful. It makes you self-reliant. It allows you to think that you're better than everyone else, and at the same time, it makes you think of others less than yourselves. C.S. Lewis, he says it this way, for pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And beloved, just as a tumor can slowly and quietly grow to destroy the body, pride will slowly corrode and corrupt your souls. The question we want to ask right now is, well, how do we know that we're prideful? And I'll be honest, if I had to break down an entire list, that, that would take two to three hours, and I know we don't have that kind of time. But what are some of the symptoms of pride that I know I find myself with and often others that are struggling with? Three things that kind of stand out to me, right? Number one, uh, rebellion, right? Rebellion says, you know, I, I know better than you, God. So what happens is we become dismissive about what Scripture is saying. We're often dismissive of what people uh, have to say about something that's going on in your life, right? We're rebellious, and we often show essentially a lack of submission, Right? Uh, in terms of what rebellion is, how that plays out is we're always argumentative, right? We're never wrong. We're always right. I mean, and this one's for free. Honestly, if that's you, you're just probably not that enjoyable to be around with. Secondly, entitlement, right? What entitlement is? Entitlement says, I deserve God's mercy. So in light of that deserving, in light of that entitlement, we deceive ourselves. We think we're better than we actually are. We think we always deserve better. We always think we deserve man's praise. We think we deserve love, success, and comfort. And on the opposite side of that, we definitely don't think we deserve suffering, heartbreak, or discipline. The symptoms of entitlement comes out in frustration, bitterness. You're simply disturbed in life because you always think you deserve more. And far worse, you're always jealous of other people because they're receiving favor that you think you deserve. The third thing that stands out personally for me as well is that you're simply fearful. Fear says I simply refuse to humbly rest in the presence of God's care. So in light of that fear, you're always thinking about yourself and what others have to say about you. It's a, it's a puffing of the ego where you think life surrounds around you. And what fear does is that it reveals our lack of trust and essentially our poisonous self-reliance. We're self-absorbed. We're 
people pleasers and essentially we're just not confident people. Look at Joseph. He was rebellious, gossiping about his brothers and not honoring his father. He was entitled. He thought he deserved the praise of others. And when he received the coat of his father, he's not in thanksgiving, but essentially he's boastful. He's flaunting it because he thought he deserved it. Friends, the question for us today, in what ways are you prideful? In what ways do you view yourself bigger than you actually are? And on the top of that, in what ways do you view others smaller than you actually like to admit? You prideful about your appearance? Do you dismiss others because they don't meet your standard of beauty? Are you prideful about your education and career? Do you scoff when you find out that they didn't earn a college career or, oh my gosh, they weren't Ivy League? Are you prideful about your family? Do you look down at someone because of one's family background or you judge them low-key simply because of a family brokenness that you're aware of? Are you prideful about your role in the church? Do you judge someone because they don't act Christian or they aren't familiar with sound doctrine? Pastors and seminarians, where are you at right now? Because we definitely need, need to repent of that. See, if I got your attention in any way, friends, if there's any agreement to with what I just said, that pride is not small. It is poisonous, if not repentant, and it will destroy your soul and your relationships. Let me say it this way. If pride can disrupt the peace in God's garden, then it most certainly will disrupt the peace within your heart. So where does the change begin? How can we be removed from our prideful ways and our tendencies? Well, that leads us to our second point, the goodness of God. Starting in verse 12, what do we see? After Joseph, he's conveying these dreams. His brothers are furious. They're angry, and what they want to do is they want to respond in just a lot of spite and anger, and they want to cause him a lot of suffering. So if you look at verse 23 and 24 with me, it says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him off his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. His brothers wanted Joseph to suffer. And I would just want to highlight this a little bit. Because first, to strip him off the robe, in the Hebrew, it literally meant to skim an animal. Secondly, to throw him, in the Hebrew, it literally meant to dump him for dead. In other words, Joseph was treated like an animal that was left for dead. There was no remorse. There was no compassion. They just wanted him done so they can move on without him. But what happens? Well, fast forward in these verses. His brothers, uh, they would have a change of mind. And they thought that it would have been a better idea rather than just to leave him dead. Well, verse 27, in that mind changing, 
uh, what they would do is say they would sell Joseph into slavery for essentially 20 pieces of silver to a caravan of Ishmaelites. Now, you're probably wondering, well, Brian, your second point was about God's goodness, and I'm not seeing any of his goodness at all. And if you're thinking that, I want you to consider this with me. If one of these events never happens, the rescue plan for Joseph would have failed. Not only that, the rescue plan for society would have never happened. See, if Joseph and his brothers never had a change of heart, if he doesn't get sold away into slavery, then he never arrives to Egypt. If he doesn't arrive to Egypt, he doesn't have the opportunity to save his family and to save society as a whole. See, what I'm trying to say is it's through all of the brokenness and God working through it to melt Joseph's pride. That was what was needed to change Joseph's pride and arrogance to a humble, obedient, and loving prince. That's why when we go through the narrative of Joseph in Genesis chapter 45, instead of revenge uh, for what his brothers did to them, Joseph is humble. He wants to reconcile with them. He restores the family unity simply by extending forgiveness. There was no entitlement. In Genesis chapter 47, Joseph preserves his family and the world amid severe famine through godly wisdom and administrative genius. He was extremely humble, selfless, willing to learn and think for others. He is extremely selfless. It's through a humble Joseph God would begin to reverse the curse of rebellion as he uh, helps the unraveling of the violence through forgiveness and by destroying unrighteousness through righteousness. Was the reversal because of Joseph's status? No, it wasn't. He couldn't be. He was enslaved. Was the reversal because of his coat? Can't be. It was already stripped. Joseph was simply in a position of trusting and placing his faith in the goodness of God. If Joseph was saved circumstantially, he'd be gone forever. His pride would never have died. And eventually, God's plan would have been ruined. For Joseph, he had to go on a journey for latter glory. Friends, in your season right now, how do you reflectively respond in circumstance? Is it through your own ways? Is it through your own view and only what you think is right that you follow? Is it only because of what you think is right and what you desire and you go that route? Or will you seek others? Will you seek counsel? Will you seek scripture in humility and trust that through it, God would be working and it would be for his honor and for your good? See, in the goodness of God's plan, 
what I love about God's plan is that he never wants us to be just where we are. He wants so much more than that. And what God wants for you and I is to have our prideful hearts melted to love God more and to make him known more. Now, am I saying that, you know, for you to be accepted by God, you need to go through a painful life? Am I saying that for you to be humble, your life needs to just completely explode in complete suffering? The answer can't be yes. And the reason why I say the answer can't be yes is because if that was the case, it would lead us into a works-based approach to life and a works-based approach to who God is. That is anti-gospel, right? We'll always be looking for some type of pain and suffering for uh, this, this, this unhealthy validation. What the gospel tells us is something radically different. The gospel tells us, yes, brokenness is the requisite to renewal, but God in his goodness would send someone else on our behalf to live this humble life of brokenness. And that leads us to a third and final point, the healing in humility. Now, going back to those dreams that we were referring to in verses 5 through 11, In light of what Joseph shared, it's actually also very clear that the author of Genesis, he he wanted to highlight these dreams. And what the author of Genesis wants to highlight regarding these dreams is that the older brothers are bowing down to a younger Joseph. Why is this important? Because in ancient society, it was custom that the younger always bowed down to the older. The older would never bow down to the younger. So Joseph's dreams, by nature, they were socially and just radically subversive. They were completely countercultural to what society knew. In other words, Joseph's dreams was foretelling what it would take to reverse all that is broken in society. And it's through his dreams that it would tell you and I that what it took to reshape the world must be through a son. Centuries later, Jesus Christ, the begotten son, would come down in full humility to reshape all that is broken in the world. Similar to Joseph, he did experience the darkness He did experience a thirst. He did experience a pit of isolation, but it was far, far greater. For it was on the cross where we find Jesus Christ with his robe torn. He was stripped naked, and he was the slaughtered lamb. His blood was shed to the point of death. And the question is why? Going back to this idea of pride, it's because of man's pride. What we begin to see in Genesis 3, it was man's rebellion to be more like God that essentially separated us from the love of the Father. And it was because of this gap. And for this gap to be closed, to regain the love of the Father, there had to have been a sacrifice to atone for sin. 
And that would be through the Son, Jesus Christ, for he was the ultimate sacrifice in perfect humility. Jesus Christ, he laid down his life so he can save us from our prideful tendencies that naturally make us rebel against God. Jesus Christ, he never shred sinful pride. There was no fear. There was no entitlement. There was no ingratitude. There was no rebellion. It was just full and complete submission for you and I. And beloved, because of Jesus Christ, there is hope in the proud heart. In his humility, Jesus condescended to live among us, to die for us, and to raise us to new life. And that gives us a great hope because of what he has done for us. And in response to what is true, we can respond freely to be less entitled, to think of ourselves a little bit less and consider what others are experiencing and navigating through sin and brokenness in light of your sin and brokenness. So you really understand what it means to walk with one another. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8 says this, who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When you look at what Christ has done for you, you realize you can't take any credit for anything that has happened in your life. And if that's true, that will melt your prideful heart and it makes you more humble. The gospel, it makes you more humble. It's a healing balm to your broken soul. Why is that the case? What the gospel does is this. It does two things. Number one, the gospel, it, it, it deals with our pride by destroying it. It helps us to remember that life is never about us and that ultimately we actually deserve the very wrath of God. But secondly, what it does is that it deals with our pride. It takes away the punishment. He puts it on himself so that we can be in his newness in light of godly character to look and to be more like Jesus. In other words, it's because of his humility, we can be forgiven of our pride. So friends, how do we apply this text today? There are three takeaways for us to pray through and consider as we kind of land this plane. First is a question, right? This is the, this is the application. The first question is, to ask yourself, very simply, in what ways am I prideful? In what ways am I prideful? Now, hear me when I say this, because this is really important. The question is never, am I prideful? Like, if you're asking that, like, 
you, you, you're, spiritually, you're spiritually tripping. Like, it's, it's not, that's not a good question to ask. The question you should always ask is, am I prideful? Why, or not, am I prideful, but in what ways am I prideful? Can we prideful? I'm spiritually tripping, right? We want to always assume that we are prideful. A spiritually mature person or someone that's willing to be more spiritually mature is to honestly admit and to dive deeper and to explore the what ways that you are prideful. You know, that statement, I'm prideful, I think is a funny phrase because you hear a lot of people say it. I really believe it's just kind of like a cop-out to like really not dive deep into what you're actually going through, right? So what do you say? It's, it's, it's literally equivalent of, I'm a sinner. Okay, cool. Like, I know that, but, you know, ooh, what are we doing, right? In what ways am I prideful? Second question, second thing to consider How does my pride impact my relationship with God and others? How does my pride impact my relationship with God and other people? Right? Consider the ways that you're not trusting in God's word. Consider and reflect. And honestly, be acknowledging of why you may not be trusting in what those words are. And in the same way, Right? Think about how your pride impacts the relationship with other people. Think about why it's your pride that allows you not to be honest about where you actually are and what you're actually experiencing, the sins that you are currently, you know, uh, working through. I mean, why is it so difficult for you to trust someone? And at the same time, why is it so difficult for you to not listen to what God is trying to say through godly people? How does my pride impact my relationship with God and others? Third takeaway is this. Ask those two questions with a friend, right? Ask those two questions that you're asking the Lord, but ask them to a friend. Like after this service, right, ask those questions. In this week, ask those questions, right? This takes a lot of humility, But consider what that would begin to do in light of humility, trusting in the Lord and the God and the people that placed, that God placed within your life. See, there's a great humility uh, um, that is to be found in Christ. And through that humility, there is now great healing for it will destroy the pride that is blinding you. So consider the humility of Christ as the healing for your pride that makes us so rebellious. I'm going to close with this one last thought. Because when you look at this text, when you look at Genesis chapter 37, what do we see? We see a lot of miserable circumstances. Talking about injustice. Talking about slavery. I mean, we're talking about attempted murder. No one can deny that. No one will say Joseph deserved it. No one will say that is just. But in light of all of that injustice, what allowed Joseph to endure through it all? Humility. It took a process. It took a season. It took a refiner's fire. But it was through it all. He became humble and he trusted in the Lord. That's why in Genesis chapter 15, verse 20, Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good 
to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. His love is completely compatible with the terrible things within your life. And rather than the pride to only blame on circumstance, my question is, will you have the humility to consider in God's providence and trust him on your road marked with suffering so that you would have the humble confidence to boldly confess as you depart this room or this live stream that even what the enemy meant for evil, you used it for my good and you used it for your glory. Would you join me in prayer this morning?